0: Is there any, is there anything about like the specifics of what you do in like your day-to-day work that you have seen come into your parenting? Or has it just been mostly the other way around that you're like, oh wow, parenting is hard.
1: Um, (laughs) I think there's definitely been influence of both. Like all of the things I know about behavior and changing behavior and modeling and giving feedback and trying to, do punishment in meaningful ways and a lot of that has been influenced by what Mm -hmm. i've learned as an educator um yeah it's it's just yeah a lot harder when you are doing it all the time or when it's real late at night and you've worked all day and you're just like no go just stop and do what exactly what i told you to and just be super compliant just please like it's all i can handle right now um yeah i mean it's it definitely has had an impact both ways that a lot of the things I've learned are helpful it's sometimes still hard like I know a lot about developmental milestones and what's developmentally typical for behaviors and even when I know something is totally typical it's still really hard to take it personally like why are you lying now like I know that is totally a part of learning to be a human is that you start lying at some point and you have to figure it out but like God, he lied for the first time, like, a week or two ago. And I was just like, oh, no. (laughs) here this is. I am a horrible failure at mothering. And, like, and I know I'm not. And I know that's totally unreasonable. But at the same time, it's that... Yeah. But you were supposed to be not that. Like, now, so I got to deal with this and figure out what to yeah. do. Like, um, you
0: thought that since you knew about it,
1: you'd be able to avoid it? <laughs> no, I just like to pretend. I'm also, I mean, yeah, it's that ignorance is bliss part of, like, maybe if I just pretend it won't happen, it won't. But, yeah, it turns out it does. Yeah, yep. Mm-hmm.
2: Welcome back to the Edge of Punks podcast. This is your host, Craig Bideman. We're here for season two of the podcast and starting off season two the right way with a Katie Hamm interview. That's right. Don't You don't have to listen to me talk this whole episode. You get to listen to a very, I must say, NPR-like interview where it's very calm, very chill. I like that. A uh, very nice way to start off the, the the new season. This episode, you get to hear Katie interview their skister, Amanda Myers from uh, Madison, Wisconsin. Uh, we visited Amanda over our recent vacation to the Midwest and to the Pacific Northwest, which was really great. Katie and Amanda dig into a lot of different topics from Amanda's work as a school psychologist as well as working with English language learners and what it's like being a mom and what it's like coming out as a queer human being a little bit later in life. All of that stuff combined with living in the Midwest, which tends to be a little bit more of a conservative area. They both dig into all that stuff and a whole hell of a lot more. But first, I just want to say, hey, thanks uh, to folks who are listening uh, over vacation, folks who uh, checked out the interview with Derek Zanetti, new listeners, I'm sure, uh, came to us from that one, which is really great. And yeah, moving forward, uh, we're going to be doing a couple new things. We're going to try some stuff out, going to try like a couple episodes of just chatting about music, Uh, just kind of just seeing where the podcast is going, seeing how it's evolving, pretty fun stuff if you like what you hear tell your friends subscribe on itunes check it out on the google play store should be on spotify soon you're gonna hear tunes from a compilation that was put together by old press records in salt lake city utah with a bunch of different bands on it there's some prince daddy and the hyena some lilith some into it over it uh, a bunch of different bands all over this uh, over this compilation, and all of the proceeds, digital and physical, go to support Rain, uh, which is America's largest anti-sexual violence. Uh, organization, which uh, as if you've been listening to this podcast long enough, you know that a lot of the work that Katie and I specifically do uh, is uh, anti-sexual violence uh, and supporting survivors of sexual violence and all their for all other force- forms of trauma. So you'll get to hear a bunch of songs from this compilation throughout the episode. Uh, and if you'd like to check out more, go to oldpressrecords.com and you can check it out. Okay, let's get into this conversation with Katie and Amanda.
0: All right, I'm here with my skister, Amanda.
1: Hi, I'm Amanda, Katie's skister. <laughs> I if we in... want to
0: explain that a little bit.
1: Yeah. Uh, so, Katie. Well, I can
0: explain it if you want. Do it. Um, in high school, I was best friends with Amanda's younger sister, Emily, um, who passed away in 2008, um, and Amanda and I just kind of adopted each other, and Skister is what she and Emily used to call each other.
1: Now so we Katie is high
0: Skister. Yeah
1: pretty awesome.
0: Anyway, so I know about you clearly, (laughs) but do you want to explain who you are and what you do?
1: Yeah, so I uh, live in Madison, Wisconsin. I uh, have a wonderful partner and uh, an amazing, crazy four-year-old little boy um, and a dog who drives us nuts, but we love him very much. I work in education and have, since I graduated college 10 years ago, and right now am the director of special education for a rural district in Wisconsin. What does that mean? So as a director of special education, um, particularly in a small district, I support um, my special education teachers and really work with... um, staff and students to support students who've been identified with disabilities and have needs to, uh, for additional support in order to benefit from their education. And I also do a lot around evaluations and figuring out if students have disabilities and if so, figuring out what supports we can provide um, in schools so that they can learn and learn academic skills, but also behavioral skills and emotional skills um, to be successful. Oh, spend a lot of my time supporting others, doing some work with kids. I'm um, really, yeah, just trying to make sure all kids have the opportunity for a great education. What made you want to work doing that? Um, I didn't know I wanted to go into education. I ended up uh, joining Teach for America after college as kind of a this sounds like an interesting idea, but I could only do it if the right situation happened, if they gave me the right placement at the level I wanted to teach at, and they did. I taught in Denver, Colorado um, at the elementary level for two years, and through that figured out I really wanted to be a school psychologist, that I'd been a psych major in college and wanted to do more around mental health and um, just learning opportunities for kids at the kind of a school-wide or a little bit larger level. So I came back to Wisconsin and got my degree to be a school psychologist and have been working ever since in some capacity to support um, kids and staff. And then I've been fortunate that I am bilingual. I speak Spanish and through that have had a lot of opportunities to really focus my work around supporting students who are English language learners, particularly those who speak Spanish, but just kind of overall being able to support um, students and have really found that I'm passionate about equity and opportunities for all kids, really seeing education as a mechanism to provide opportunities um to support communities um kids and families so really working hard to ensure that education is meaningful for all kids
0: and where does the where did the like working with kids with
1: special needs come in Um, So I worked with students on the autism spectrum in college. I was a therapist and provided um, supports for students who had been identified um, on the autism spectrum and just really fell in love with that work. I'd always enjoyed kids and babysats since I was pretty young, um, but really found I had a heart for kids with disabilities. And as I became a teacher and then a school psychologist, just more and more... um, Opportunities and emphasis on focusing to support students with uh, disabilities in schools. So really seeing that um, there is a lot of room to grow to provide opportunities for support for kids who have disabilities in schools. So how does the,
0: like, English language learners kind of intersect with that? Like, is there any struggle to... I'm, like, trying to think of how to phrase it, but, like, are there any, like, assumptions that those kids might be special needs, even though it's
1: just a language barrier, or... Yeah, it's a uh, pretty big struggle and almost I mean, everywhere I've worked, and really kind of across the nation, in a lot of different districts, trying to figure out how do we best support students who are English language learners, and then when there are concerns, um, emotionally, behaviorally, or academically, how do you know... What is language and culture impacting students and their ability to learn and be successful in school? Um, And what is an actual concern with learning? So I've provided a lot of support to staff and um, do evaluations with districts for students who are English language learners to really try and make sure that the evaluation and the way that we go about trying to gather information and problem solve through what students need um, is as fair and valid as it can be. There's a lot of limitations to that. Um, It's really hard uh, materials, and the way we do evaluations isn't really set up to always be culturally and linguistically fair. Um, A lot of the tools um, have always been targeted towards white middle class or white upper class um, kids. Um, the more and more research and more and more frequently those tools are being um, redone and re- released with new additions that are uh, based with more diverse populations. So a lot of the work I do is encouraging other school psychs and students. Uh, special educators to consider how do we gather really good data, how do we provide really good instruction in the first place in classrooms, so that students um, with disabilities as well as students who are English language learners have opportunities to really learn material. That we're not just assuming they should know it, or that they know it walking in the door, or that they'll get it with one Opportunity to learn it or one exposure to it, but giving them lots of different ways to practice and learn skills and get feedback about those. Um, It's a challenge. It's often hard in a time of limited resources and education to be able to provide um, that level of support and understanding to how we teach and how we teach any kind of content, whether it's reading or math or science, thinking about the language we use and the opportunities that kids have to learn language. So these
0: like tests and the resources that you have, are those like national things?
1: Yeah. So, and that's, I'm speaking kind of as a school psychologist when I'm working and doing an evaluation for a student, um, We use nationally normed tools either to look at academics or um, social-emotional skills and behaviors and um, intellectual abilities. All of those are nationally normed, created tests. And yeah, the good news is I've seen a lot of change in the last um, seven years I've been a school psychologist with new tools being released or some of the older tests that were in existence now being updated to have more diverse norms. So when I'm comparing scores, I know um, that things are slowly getting a little better, that it's potentially more representative of kids. But it's also hard because every situation is different and what students' um, language exposure as well as how much they're involved in uh, traditional American culture versus their family mm-hmm. culture is always really hard and independent on each kid. So it's...
0: Yeah, I was mostly just thinking because, like, obviously Wisconsin is not the most racially diverse place in the world. Uh, Madison is, is pretty diverse yeah, for pockets. the state of Wisconsin. Um, but uh, yeah, I was just wondering if it was national because obviously there are other places in the country that seems like it would be a much bigger problem if everything was based in like white male structure i mean not like everything in, like theory wise for college students is the same thing so you right.
1: know they've gotten better and better about when they create a new tool to get a diverse group of kids in different ages different ethnicities different language levels are now being considered Um, So how much English students have, as well as um, socioeconomic status and all of the different backgrounds. So trying to get a fairly representative sample has become a pretty strong push um, in the last probably five to seven years, especially with a lot more focus on diversity and equity in practice.
0: So I know for a hot second you worked with high school students. Yes. What made you like what? Why did you want to work with elementary age students
1: yeah so i traditionally i've always kind of worked more with younger students and that was the age group that i taught i taught younger elementary students um and they're fun kind of to catch them right at the beginning of their learning and really making sure they have strong opportunities from the, the get-go like from the beginning um High schoolers are a ton of fun, though, too, because you get to really watch them grow into their own people and figure out who they are. And you can use logic and reason a little bit more um, to talk with them about choices they're making and really trying to help them think through consequences and how things can either get them towards where they want to go or maybe not so much. And, um also really trying to teach some of those tougher life skills of how do you cope in hard family situations or just hard life circumstances and how do you get through that and still set goals for yourself and try to maintain where you want to go. So it's challenging, but it's really kind of fun too to work with high school students.
0: Yeah. Pretty much anytime I've heard you talk about your job, I'm like, that sounds really hard <laughs> um, <Yeah>. and <laughs> stressful. Uh so despite the fact that your job can be very hard and stressful, what is the funnest part about it? Or what, like what do you love about it?
1: I um, am very systems focused in my work and always have been a, a very interested in systems change and how we can really make larger impacts with kids. So I really um, love watching systems work together or evolve to support more kids more effectively. It's one thing I really enjoy seeing. I've had opportunities to coach um, schools and their leadership teams and trying to change the way they use practices to support students more efficiently. So looking at data and information to determine what sorts of support students need and really providing that um, in very quick ways. So I've been able to do that a lot and I enjoy that and seeing that kind of happen. It's hard work and slow work, but really seeing that happen efficiently and effectively where a lot of kids are getting the support they need much faster um, or in at least more responsive ways. Um, So I enjoy that. I also really enjoy student time. I've been, I love watching um, students with significant disabilities learn new things that we've had to work really hard to learn. Um, I love and high schoolers kind of come into their own people and experience success that they've worked for, um, and see that they have dreams and goals that they're ambitious about and really working towards. Um, and kids are just funny. They say funny things, they do funny things. Um, and it's, it's some of the best parts of my job is just being able to see kids and, um, hear what they have to say or like have a birthday party for one of our students and watch him learn to play a game and interact with peers when that's a big challenge for him. Mm. Um, it's really, there's a lot of good moments too, but it is definitely hard work as well.
0: So you're pretty heavily tattooed. Yes. Um, how is that working in education in rural Wisconsin?
1: Yeah, so I have a half sleeve and quite a few tattoos on my shoulders and inner wrists. I also have quite a few on my my legs, um, but those ones aren't as visible at work. Um, and your like whole back, <laughs> yeah, my entire back, in which you can see sometimes at work. Yeah, for the most part, I haven't really um, experienced too many issues directly. I think when I meet people, they don't really know what to think of me. I'm a relatively young professional um, for the role that I'm in, about a decade younger than most people probably. And so I think it throws people off a little bit. They don't quite know what to think of me. And so for those of you who don't know me, I'm heavily tattooed. I also have my ears gauged and I have a very non-traditional haircut and my nose is pierced so the whole my whole aesthetic is a little different from most um tattoos are more and more common my Mm
0: -hmm.
1: I have several coworkers who have fairly visible tattoos at work um they're not as heavily tattooed as I am but sometimes I get comments Mm -hmm. or things they're not ever really mean it's usually more inquisitive Um, I know just just like with some of
0: my students that are going into education like they're so worried
1: about getting tattoos because they think they won't be able to get a job yeah, I would say most educators I know and have worked with have tattoos in certain settings. Even now hmm. I know several people who do. Um, That's awesome. Yeah, I think it largely depends on your dis- like the school district's yeah. culture and what they view. Um, there's also, I mean, a lot to be said for being able to do the work. And so when I know mm-hmm. what I know, how much do you really want to care about my tattoos if I can do a really great job? And for the most part, I think that has served me well. Um, but I definitely throw people off when I meet them. There's usually just a kind of a second glance, but people usually are pretty good and don't say anything. <laughs> yeah, what's it like with the kids? I haven't had a kid comment on tattoos other than to compliment them in years. <laughs> like, oh yeah, no, that's what, what I was so, thinking. Like do yeah. they, they like every now and think again a kid cool. will say like, "Oh, I like your tattoo," or "I think that's great." High schoolers especially are always interested yeah. in tattoos. Um, for the most part like the kids don't even notice or care i think it's that has i think changed quite a bit in education in the last Mm -hmm. decade um is just how much people are tattooed or um, i was have been fortunate to work in different districts where having brightly colored hair or very like loud Mm -hmm. hairstyles is totally fine as well we have leaders in the district who have very different color hair different presentations and It had been well accepted, so.
0: Has that all been, like, in the Madison area?
1: Yeah, for the most part. I did have a person that I worked with in one of my schools who told me I should take out my nose ring when it was actually still a stud. I wore a stud to work instead of a ring. I've worn a ring now for Years. years much uh i was told that i should take that out because it made me look young and trashy but it was a a person who had been in the profession a very long time and was not so uh guarded in their feelings about things anymore it was their last year before retirement that was several years ago and i just smiled real big and then went to my office and laughed real hard um because i didn't actually care and my bosses didn't care so yeah Again, wasn't actually worried about it, but that's been, that was pretty entertaining, and I just took yeah, it with a grain of salt. Super that interesting. same person also told a female student that they should wear, or that she should wear lipstick, and it might help her feel better. Oh
0: my lord. Yeah,
1: so, <laughs> not the most supportive, but from a different time and place, yeah. I think, so.
0: Yeah, I was just thinking, like, because we grew up in the same area, so like... <laughs> pretty conservative area and i just like it's hard for me to imagine that we would have had anyone who worked at our high school that looked like you you know yeah
1: and i think there's not
0: but i mean we've been out of high school for a while so yes. I <laughs> yeah
1: maybe <laughs> I mean, it's changed things are changing my experience is that yeah issues around expression and all just all kinds of things are more present in schools it's not as hidden it's more talked about um Kids and students report things a lot younger and are a lot more open, I think, than they were when I was in high school about 15 years ago, um, which I think is amazing to watch that change happen. I mean, and I am the only one who looks like me in my current position or current role, but in my larger district, I had many people who looked like me in other positions of authority and other just educational positions. So, um, With my role, I did consider that when I switched that it would be meaningful for kids and staff to see someone like me in a Mm -hmm. position of authority. That it is possible to be who you are and express who you are in that way and be able to do a great job and not have (laughs) to look like what everyone expects when Uh, I say that. So um, That's my thoughts on everything. Yeah. It was something that, yeah, I talked about and my partner and I discussed at length before I switched positions, but Mm -hmm. that that would be potentially really meaningful to kids and staff um, to be someone who looks different and just is who they are. Yeah. I wish more people did that. It definitely can be challenging, I think. I also think I'm fairly, I don't know if naive is really the right word, I also am just... (laughs) Unaware, I guess <laughs> I don't let what people think yeah, about me yeah, bother I me gonna a say whole You don't lot. care. I don't, and <laughs> well, I just don't think. seek it out. Like I don't pay attention to it. I don't yeah. really care, and I'm not. Like it's not in a apathetic way, but in a kind of like, that's great. Like I hope you'll judge me more on the content of who I am. Yeah. If you don't like me based on how I look initially, I hope you'll at least give me a shot, but that's all on you. Like I can't control mm. anybody else's actions or the what they think and I can just try to show them yeah. that I'm my person and
0: can do And like the way you things. are presenting yourself is very values based and I don't think you'd change it even if somebody said anything to you. Like,
1: no. Nope. <laughs> that's nope.
0: Yeah. You, you'd you go into your office and laugh, like, yeah. with, the, with the nose ring.
1: Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. Yeah. And I think I generally present more um, masculine or slightly femme of center, but not a ton. But every now and again, I'll I'll dress a little bit more feminine, and I, I think that's important, too, to know there is, like, mm-hmm. it's not like I, I have to look the same way every day in order to be who I am. That sometimes I can yes. look more feminine, and sometimes I can look more masculine, and... It's fine. Like, it's how I look that day. It's what I wanted to wear. It's what I'm comfortable in. Um, Preach. Yes. So, and I think that's, I think that's important to model as well, that it's not one or the other, that it's still a binary. It is (laughs)
0: definitely still weird to a lot of my students when I show up in a dress. Yeah.
1: But like, whatever. Yep. It's I'm, fine. I can do that. I've had people ask me when I show up in a dress, oh, are you interviewing somewhere? Yeah. Like, previous positions, like, no, I just felt like wearing a dress today. This yeah. one has, it's gray and it has black crows on it. So it's still pretty dark. Like, that's yeah, me. Yeah, yeah. So. <laughs> still like...
0: my aesthetic. Right. But, yeah.
1: Yep.
2: All right. Let's take a quick break to hype up something that I want to hype up. Uh, this is uh, from our friends at Table Turns. Once again, I'm sharing you... Uh, our favorite vinyl subscription service, uh, I get a record every single month from Table Turned. If you go to table-turned.com right now, you can see that they just launched as of, I think yesterday or maybe even today, uh, uh, the new genres that you can get delivered to your house every single month. You can get records from the post-hardcore genre or the shoegaze revival genre. I voted for both of these when the when the uh, request for genre suggestions went out. If you like bands like Thursday, Circus Survive, La Dispute, you can get uh, the post-hardcore uh, uh, genre delivered to your house every single month for $160 for the year. That's for a year. You're going to get 12 records for just over $10 a month. That's such a great deal. Uh, and then you can also do the Shoegaze Revival if you are a fan of nothing, Pity Sex, or even My Bloody Valentine. Again, the great early bird price for an entire year. You get a record every single month, a surprise record, fun variants, $160 a month. Go to table Turned dot com to get your subscription today alright let's get back to this conversation
0: we yeah so we come from a conservative area we also both waited very long time to come out as queer I don't even when when did like I think I was
1: 26 27 something like that I realized it for myself um when I was Twenty-seven, turning Mm twenty-eight, and it still took me a couple of years to really figure out what to do with that.
0: Oh yeah, I mean, I I knew in probably when I was nineteen, and then yeah, it took like it took too long. Yeah, but it took about two more years. I mean, yeah, like we
1: didn't. There were really no out queer people where we're from. Right. I remember in my class, at least in a couple of classes ahead of you, we had, Mm -hmm. um, two kids that I can remember for sure that were out in high school, one male and one female, um, one lesbian and and a gay uh, man. And it was hell for both of them. Um, particularly, um, the guy who struggled a lot more with bullying and, Mm um, the woman really didn't quite as much, but was kind of on her own and stuck to her own things um yeah we had no supports in place
0: yeah, at all I'm, when i was in high school i literally didn't know anyone who was out there yeah. like there are people who since have come out yeah. but definitely not while we were
1: there yeah i just know one friend of emily's who came out to her in high school Oh yeah, no, never mind. Yeah. You're right. And that's that the one. only one I know. <laughs> that one. Yeah. So there was one. There was one, but and that was meaningful. My sister yeah. Emily had talked to me about that um, when that happened because nobody else was out, and mm-hmm. she was like, "How do I be really supportive?" I'm like, "You just listen. Just love them. It's fine." Well, <laughs> and that oh,
0: Emily was like one of the first people that made me feel like it would have been okay, like. Because after that happened, and it just reminded me of this, I, like, totally blocked this out of my memory, apparently, until right now. <laughs> but, like, I, I remember her saying something along the lines of, like, just wanting to be surrounded by gay people.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yep. It's like it's just, you know, those people are great. I just want to be around them. And I'm like, well, mm, you were. <laughs> you were. Turns <laughs> out, you were. Uh, yeah. Huh anyway just like, going back just down memory to, lane yeah holy shit um so now that you're out and you're, you're out at work mm-hmm. is that does that like similarly to your tattoos play into like representation or
1: yep yeah, it does yeah pretty strongly um I've been out at work the last several years I'm out publicly um try and be, I don't really know a good word for it. I mean, I'm not, like, I even actually said this before my current role. Like, I'm not going to be running up and down the hallways like, with the rainbow Mm -hmm. flag streaming behind me. But I'm never going to deny who I am. And Mm -hmm. I'm never going to not talk about my life if people bring it up or if people are talking about their lives or I want to share something about, like, that I have a partner and she is a woman. And, like, I'm never going to hide that. Um, And, again, I haven't faced any actual face to face discrimination. I am sure people talk behind my back cuz people do. It's how we are. We're social creatures.
0: Yeah, it's more so here than it is. Now that I live in Boston, man, everybody says everything to your face there. <laughs> I'm more fine with behind backs. So have Either deal with it. Wow, it's <laughs> behind the back.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um and yeah, I just again think it's important to represent. I recognize it is a strong possibility. There's a lot of adults and kids I work with who do not know another adult who is mm-hmm. LGBTQ of any kind um, and a professional and kind of just living life. Um, so I do think that's really important. And again, I have pictures of my partner up at work and my partner and I and our child and um, bring it up here and there. Most of the staff I work with directly, I think all know. And again, um, I think probably everybody knows since I work in a smaller district and then mm-hmm. my previous role I was one of many staff members who were LGBTQ and was fortunate that um there was a pretty big group, but there were still challenges I think at times, but not nearly I wasn't uh, kind of the only one. So mm. but yeah, I really value that there are several classrooms um, where I work now that have a safe space sticker up in the window. Mm. Um, I have one up in my office window as well. There are several classrooms that have that in our middle school and high school um, to really show support for kids. And I really think that's important um, and to recognize that that is still needed, but that it, and that it is important to show that to kids, that there are adults who can be allies um, and supportive.
0: Have you come across any kids that have been, m- either like curious or like might be trying to figure out themselves? Yes, I can't
1: say a whole lot. Yeah, yeah, There's yeah. A confidentiality, but yeah, we actually—I was surprised by the number of kids that we have who are either out, um, very out, or exploring and figuring it out. There's quite a few. So that young—that's mm-hmm. awesome. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, it's was. Su- it was and has been surprising, so but I'm really excited really for that. Cool.
0: So, the education system in Wisconsin has had some uh, some rough patches
1: lately. How has that been? Yeah, um, education in Wisconsin has been challenging, education across the country mm-hmm. um, is struggling, I think, um, primarily with. Low, lower enrollment in college education programs um, a lot of people leaving the profession even if they've been in the profession for a while new teachers leave the profession uh, usually within three to five years retention rates of teachers is really low and not just so not just in Wisconsin but kind of mm-hmm. all over um, but all of those things are, are true here and it's causing a huge impact that roles often cannot be filled um, so like Anybody who's looking for a job in education, school psychology in most states in the U.S. Um, is a role that critically needs people. Um, and there's a couple different levels you can get. It does require advanced degree, but some states will let you practice with a master's. Some you need an education specialist degree, which is a between a master's and a Ph.D., and some you have to have a Ph.D. Mm-hmm. But it's like a guaranteed job almost anywhere in the U S don't not everywhere. There's a few States where it's low. There are quite a few people, but in Wisconsin, um, I know last year there were something like 36 openings that remained open all year that were never filled. Wow.
0: That's so many.
1: Yeah. And and then the same is true. Special education teachers are really hard um, to find. And a lot of people have emergency licenses in order to work in special education, which means they don't have the actual training and background from their bachelor's degree and are trying to complete programs after work or on their own while they're also teaching um, because we just don't have the people to fill the spots. and, And it's either like they do the emergency thing or they have nothing. Yeah. And so, wow. yeah, it's, it's become really challenging. Um, and it, it is hard work and it's long hours and it's oftentimes can be a thinkless work and it can feel like it's never enough because students still struggle and we can't control all the different variables. And again, I'm all about the system. So education is one part of mm-hmm. our larger community system. So when communities, have families who don't have jobs who don't have secure housing who don't have access to good food who don't um who have higher incarceration rates all of those things end up impacting kids in schools and um, we do everything we can but have to recognize there's also a lot of other factors that play in so it's been really challenging to see um not being able to fill staff positions seeing that the needs of kids are um, intensive and trying to find ways to support that um, While well, balancing everything else that's going on with accountability and um, testing and all of the other kind of pressures that loom on schools and teachers um, working with kids, so it's definitely a hard career path for many. Um, it's an exhausting one, but the rewards are incredible. Um, and again, you know, I mean, it is a work of passion, oh, really? <laughs> a work of money. Um, But seeing the results of your work make an impact on other people's lives, on kids' lives, on families, is really uh, powerful and often worth those long hours and long nights when we can see the success, knowing that it's making a larger impact on not really just one child, but the family and all of the things that child will potentially then do in their life um, to support our community. Yeah, it seems like all of
0: the. Um, I mean, obviously, intersectionality of different identities and experiences is interwoven. So, like, yeah, all of those external things affect the kid, but then the kid's gonna go affect all of those things too. Yeah, which is interesting because it could it could either be cyclical or it could like lead to change. potential change. Yeah, yeah. So that's. It's cool that you can possibly, like, be a part of that change
1: um, if it happens, yeah. right. which hopefully it does. Right. Yeah, and there's never guarantees, but I think that's... I want to know that I did everything I could to support students so that they had options. They had mm-hmm. the opportunity to be as successful as I possibly can be, again, recognizing there's much larger systemic issues around access to a well-rounded education and access to college and access to different careers and um, a lot of that goes to much larger systems, but knowing that I could do everything I can to make some of those things a more likely option or more possible for students um, so that they can work for the things that they want and help to create change. Is there anything else that we didn't talk
0: about that you think, is important in uh, what makes you sort of unique in the way you approach education?
1: I think my whole approach is really around um, equity, so not equality, but truly equity, giving everybody what they need to be successful, and that may be different supports for different kids, Um, and really thinking about how do we do that well. It's a huge... Challenge and task um, but one that I'm hoping I'm always striving towards and just yeah, recognizing that kids are our future younger generations are who will be leading the country when I'm older when um, I want people to be looking out for others and really moving our country forward in meaningful ways so my work is making an impact on that at least i hope it is um because that really is where we are and thinking about how do we create lasting change while education is one part of it making sure all kids have the ability to read and to do math and have access to technology and learn how to handle stress and be social emotional well-rounded humans who have social skills and um all of the different things that make us um people and that when kids are leaving at their education at the end of high school that there's still plenty of growing and learning to do but that they have a really good foundation no matter how they came into school that they have those opportunities to then move forward and they might not all be the same as their peers but that there are still at least some opportunities um, for them to follow up on and really do things that they want to pursue so that they can be community members who give back and who are happy and healthy and being part of what brings the community up. I think that's really my driving force and why I do the work and why even on hard days or in hard situations with families or kids trying to remember the perspective that it is about wanting everyone to be as well as they can be to give back um, and be a part of the community it's great if I'm all on my own and doing fine, but if no one else is, I'm not gonna really mm-hmm. be all that fine for very long. Um, I'm not solo in everything. I really am part of a larger system, a larger group, um, a community, so it's really where my kind of thoughts and heart lie in the work.
0: How do you think your work has impacted being a parent?
1: Oh, man. Um, it is so much harder to parent than you can ever possibly imagine. Um, I've worked with kids. I've like, babysat, and I've been with kids for forever, but having one myself is a totally different thing. you have never questioned everything I do so much. <laughs> um, as you're raising a human, it's not a few hours here and there. Um, it's kind of, it's, like, permanent. Like, you see... <laughs> the good things in yourself (laughs) and you see the bad things in yourself um and I feel it's kind of a lot of pressure and I think it's helped me get a much better perspective um for my own parents and for other parents as well and just how hard it is um and that I don't think we've given enough credit to that and I think there has been something lost in some of the community stuff though technology is amazing for that when I feel like I'm the worst parent in the world. Um, I mean, I can Google and see like 10 other videos of kids throwing the same kind of tantrum or being awful kids just like mine was. And then I'm like, okay, this isn't just my kid. Like there are other Mm -hmm. kids who are like this too. Um, But it can be really isolating and really hard to just feel like you're giving everything and it's still hard and it's not linear and you might make some really good gains and then all of a sudden something else is awful that really wasn't and it was fine two days ago and all of a sudden it's a huge challenge so it's given me much better compassion um for other parents for sure um and yeah I and for my own parents and just recognizing that yeah it's a it's the hardest thing I'll ever do in my life work in education is hard but raising a kid is definitely the hardest thing I'll ever do um to try and raise someone who is kind and thoughtful and, um, independent and a problem solver. And those are the things I really want for my child. I'm trying to give those things and also raise him to be aware of all of the equity issues that I'm very passionate about. And, um, knowing that like letting him be proud of who he is and expressing himself how he wants to, um, and understanding his family, he often will tell people, I have two moms one, two, I have two moms, and he counts us, mm-hmm. um, and it's adorable, um, and he asks other kids about their families, and be like, you have one mom and one dad, like, and he's very <laughs> confused by it, which is really <laughs> awesome to me, um, and just as a parent, I'm, I'm always kind of proud, my, my kid is being raised in a very large group of queers, and is, mm-hmm. <laughs> especially when I have him just kind of immersed in a very different culture, and a different way that community can work, and I love it. And it makes me really happy that he goes to roller derby events or gay hockey league events (laughs) and like (laughs) just things that there's plenty of other kids there. Um, But just really letting him see that families look different, that kids are different. Um, He is bilingual as well. And it's really neat to see that too, that he recognizes Spanish and speaks some Spanish and kind of gets that you can have multi, multiple languages to communicate in and it's trying to pass on all of those things. But not fuck it up is really challenging. Um, sounds like it must be
0: challenging to, and like I've seen you at least over the past couple of days, um, like just transition into speaking Spanish with him out of nowhere. Mm -hmm. But like, I can't imagine trying to
1: teach a kid two different languages. (laughs) Yeah. Kids brains are awesome. They just pick up on it. So I've spoken Spanish with him and read to him in Spanish since he was pretty much born. Um, Mm -hmm. And it took him until the last, like, couple of months before he started speaking it, but he has really good receptive language, and so he knows, he's also going to, he's gone to a Spanish um, daycare, which has been phenomenal for him, oh, too. Oh, that's super cool. Yeah, so we got to hear Spanish a lot at school, and um, a couple of the other kids speak Spanish as their first language, so he's been able to do that a lot. Um, so, yeah, he just he gets it and it's funny because he'll hear things on the radio or, or hear someone talking in public and go that's spanish mom that's in spanish <laughs> it's in español <laughs> like yes yes it is um but it's funny cuz even now he'll do I like, yeah code switch a lot back and forth between english and spanish and he will as well now on his own like so mm-hmm. he'll be speaking to me in english and then all of a sudden he switches into spanish and that's been new in the last few months and it makes my heart really happy because Um, I think speaking multiple languages is a critical skill and is valued all over the world and really is something I highly value being able to communicate with others. So it makes me happy to see him do that too. He's also a talker like me, so I think he values being able to talk with a variety of people.
0: Yes. You are both very social humans.
1: Yes. Does he know that like not everybody speaks Spanish? Ah uh, yes, yeah. he has actually told my partner she needs to learn. <laughs> when he brought her a book in Spanish and she told him she couldn't read it because she does not speak Spanish, she said, "Well, you need to learn." And that's <laughs> very um straightforward about it. So yes, he knows some people don't that's speak awesome. Spanish. Um, and it's yeah, it's pretty entertaining. So
2: Alright, now time for the music break! Yay, the music break! Uh, we're bringing you, once again, we're bringing you music from a brand new compilation. From old press records, it is called "We Believe You." It is for survivors of sexual violence, and all of the proceeds, digital and physical, go to benefit Rain, uh, which is America's largest anti-anti-sexual violence organization. If you want to learn more about Rain, please visit rain.org/about-rain. You can also get help 24 hours a day uh, through Rain by Uh, by calling them at 1-800-656-HOPE, which is 4673, 800-656-HOPE, which is 463, or live chat with them on their website. If you want to learn more about all of the bands on this compilation, there are 48 songs on this compilation that you can get by just going to oldpressrecords.com or finding Old Press Records on Bandcamp Uh, you can download the entire digital album for $10 get a CD for $12 or even get a double cassette for $10 again all the money goes to Rain which is a super great cause and now we're going to bring you a song by the band Nope K-N-O-P-E you know like Leslie Nope Nope and the song is called Ralph Gets His Heartbroken. And I hope you all like it. Here you go. Fuck. Nice to have a little bit of a Simpsons reference to end a song and on this podcast. It's nice. Nice throwback right there. I appreciate it. If you want to hear more uh, from this uh, special uh, edition compilation from Old Press Records, please go to oldpressrecords.com. Get the We Believe You compilation, 48 tracks. I feel like I'm on one of those old infomercials. You can get all these sweet tracks from songs you used to dance to in the 80s. But these are all songs that have been released uh, very recently. I don't even think most of the artists uh, contributing to this were born in the 80s. Uh, I was, but that's beyond the point. All the money goes to Rain uh, to benefit survivors of sexual violence and to support, uh, ending sexual violence and providing resources for people who are survivors of sexual violence. So please visit rain.org slash about rain. If you want more information and now let's finish up this conversation between Katie Hamm and Amanda Myers.
0: It's interesting hearing you talk about that. Like when you're having those moments where you're sort of feeling like, you might be the only one that's experiencing something that you, like, automatically go to just talk to someone else or look something up. Mm-hmm. That's just, like, feel like that's a... If you've been through some stuff, you know that's, like, how you get through it. Yeah. So, knowing that you've been through some stuff, mm-hmm. and that I've also been through some stuff. So, yeah. it's, that was just, like, <laughs> seemingly, seemingly, like... Uh, recovering from trauma 101.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, and I think it's, it really is part of being human, knowing yeah. you're not alone. That your experience may be unique in detail, but that the larger sense of it, you're not alone. Other people have struggled and it may, you're your own unique combination of things, but you're never the only one to have struggled with something. And that helps um, when it is really tough and you do just feel like, nope, it's just me, I just suck at everything, all all of it, and then you're like, wait, other people suck too, and, and again, it's that like, I know that I'm not that bad, but it's that inner sense of oh, I'm only being tasked with raising this human to be awesome, no big deal, better not mess it up at all, because again, I'm super passionate about making sure that kids are people yeah. who are able to grow up and give back and I've got this one now that I'm fully responsible for, so.
0: Sounds too stressful for me. <laughs> I'll stick to being
1: an aunt. Yeah, one is good. <laughs> one child is plenty good for me. Doing it once. <laughs> Never again. <laughs> it's good to go through all of the, all of it once and to kind of see it and, um, it is pretty amazing, but yeah, I'm, I'm really happy with the one only <laughs> Just that one. and and dogs. And dogs. One kid and dogs. Yes. Dogs yeah. are important and good for the kid. So. Yeah. I think
0: uh, last thing before we go to flash round, if you could tell your like, thirteen to fifteen year old self anything, what would
1: you say? Oh, that was a rough time for me. I was actually that was probably my roughest time growing up. 13 to 15 by 16. I had it more together. (laughs) Um, I picked the specific age range. No, I had no idea. (laughs) Oh, that was a really rough one.
0: We didn't meet until well after that. So yeah.
1: What would I tell myself then? Just that I'll figure it out, that I will get through it, that I will figure it out, that I am strong and resilient and will kind of get there. It's just a journey. Everything happens in a way to make you who you are, and are you know, the sum of your experiences, good and bad, and how you come out of them, shapes who you are and how you interact with the world. So, just reassuring myself that I'm strong enough that I can do it and that it'll be okay. Um, I think would be really helpful if I was that age.
0: Right. Let's get to these flash round questions. All right. Favorite book.
1: Oh, I'm terrible at favorite anything. I don't oh, have Sorry favorites. about it. <laughs> um, a book I read many times that I enjoy is The Outsiders. That's probably one of my more favorite one. I also love The Dark Tower Compendium by Stephen King.
0: All right. Favorite board game or card game? You can say multiple.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> favorite board game or card game? Um, Dutch Blitz has just become a favorite mostly cuz we can get almost and it's card game we can get almost anybody to play mm-hmm. we can we've played with up to 13 or 14 people and it's chaos and mayhem but it can bring a lot of different people together so i really love that um betrayal at house on the hill is one of my favorites and i bought it today so that's on the top of my mind uh there's a lot i love I value board games as a great way to get people together to socialize mm-hmm. and and kind of just really get to know people and just enjoy time together so. What's your favorite tattoo that you have definitely my bear oh, that one's easy I have a um, gray and black black bear with birch trees which is the majority of one of my shoulders and it is for my sister Emily who we talked about earlier and the birch trees represent my mom those are her favorites and that's just oh. a beautiful artistic kind of almost a painting it's got negative space and it's mm-hmm. gorgeous so that's my favorite it's your favorite place that you've traveled to Uh, that depends on what aspect of travel. Costa Rica was amazing for the culture and the climate. People are super chill. I still say that's probably where I want to expatriate to when I'm older. Mm -hmm. Um, I loved Ireland, though. That was kind of a shit show of a trip. Yeah, Uh, that was 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 quite the trip for you. Oh, it was just one mess to another, but I liked Ireland quite a bit. (laughs) I mean, Turkey was probably the place I've been to that surprised me by how much I loved it I hmm. um, Turkey's culture and political issues right now have changed in the two years since I've been there but I loved Turkey and I didn't anticipate loving Turkey the culture was amazing it was beautiful um hope someday that it'll be friendly enough to go back to right now as a mm-hmm. queer woman not an option but maybe someday mm-hmm. so and I loved uh, Israel as well so the culture again, I'm really about culture and people and getting a sense of a place. So the places yeah, we didn't really
0: get about. to talk about how much you love traveling. Yeah, I can go on but about that for many podcasts. So. That's, I feel like that's probably one of the things, like they say that your values show in your bank account.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> and like, my that values. would be where yours went. Yep.
1: Always. Traveling. Yeah. Yep. Right now we're saving and I've got a little bit saved. We're hoping to travel abroad for around a month this next summer if we can swing it at least a few weeks. Uh, we are sure. you
0: thinking about going?
1: Um, it's between several places right now. It's going to come down to money and mm-hmm. how long we can be away, um, since we have shared custody of our son, but, um... The UK, so going to Scotland, England, Wales, um, and maybe Ireland is an option. though fairly expensive in the summer. Mm-hmm. Spain, I just finished listening to a book and it talked about all these beautiful places in Spain. So now Spain's on the top of my mind. And if we have to go the cheap route, which is fine, um, we'll be going to Central America and doing Guatemala and Belize. It's kind of Those are the top ones. And then who knows, sometimes I just happen to find something that's cheaper and that's where we go. Um, but yeah, really... Excited to travel for another extended period of time. Last big trip was Iceland for three weeks, so that was about a year ago. So, you know, Craig and I are
0: finally thinking about going abroad Do it. this summer. Do it. I will have so many questions because yeah. neither of us I'll have done it you before. Plan.
1: I'll help you I mean, Someday that will be my alternate job is travel planning. <laughs> so yeah, I love it. That, you, that sounds like a good plan. Yeah. Um,
0: what is your favorite meal or and maybe and or uh what is the coolest thing you've eaten abroad
1: favorite meal again i'm not really good at favorites i will eat almost anything um i enjoy pizza and burgers and things but i'm not super predictable i'll eat kind of (laughs) whatever Um, I love really authentic Mexican food is one of my favorite things to eat with just really good spiced meat and Mm -hmm. uh, veggies and stuff. Um, that really wasn't an answer for that. Chocolate milk's my favorite drink. (laughs) I got that one down. (laughs) I know that. Um, And cherry Coke's a close second. Um, favorite thing I've eaten while abroad. I love plantains. Plantains in Costa Rica were delicious. I've eaten a lot of weird things. I've eaten blood sausage in Peru. Um, I've had chicken feet. (laughs) i've eaten yeah you can eat those you can you can eat chicken feet Mm. eat the skin off of them essentially it was very good deep fried um yeah i'll try pretty much anything there's some really weird dishes that we ate when i was in israel twice and we stayed on a kibbutz for an extended amount of time and we ate some more different dishes that were kosher friendly so there was like an egg bread sauce dish i didn't particularly enjoy it but it was a weird one that i ate it was like with baked eggs in them. It was real odd. I don't even know what it was, <laughs> but that was different. Um, what else have I really liked? I got real sick of bangers and mash in <laughs> Ireland, but that was, it was all right. Um, yeah, I don't know. I've tried food all over the world. Greece had some really good food. I enjoyed. I had really good octopus on an island in Greece. That was probably one of my favorite meals i've ever had abroad all right there it is Mm -hmm. what's your favorite movie or movies beauty and the beast has been the long standby really yeah i I did not know know. that i haven't watched it now in a long time i haven't watched the new one i don't know if that's any good um i'm really bad at the favorites thing i'll watch elf every christmas i watch hocus pocus every halloween i have more ones that i'll watch Mm -hmm. due to the time of year
0: Mm -hmm. Nightmare Before Christmas was Nightmare Before
1: Christmas is both (laughs) Sometimes we watched it this year at Halloween Last year we watched it at Christmas Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah I'm not a huge TV or movie person I'll watch it if it's on but I'm usually doing Other things I have to be knitting Or I'm on my phone or I'm doing multiple Things while watching something
0: Yeah And we always end with What is your favorite musical
1: artist? another hard one favorite probably beyonce for when i need to be pumped up it's beyonce for when i'm sad or struggling breaking benjamin and 30 seconds to mars are usually my go-tos um city in color is one of my favorite bands oh so uh, that band makes me cry every yes, single yeah. time i listen to them i love city and color for that <laughs> Uh, there's a newer. Well, I don't even know if they're newer. I'm not the music person. At yeah, all. no, I know, I know. <laughs> but Dorothy um, is a rock band I really like. I'm really pumped to go see them in Chicago in a couple of weeks. Um, yeah, those are probably the big ones, at least right now. All
0: right. We did go see Beyonce together. Yes, that was amazing. It was a great day. And Jay-Z.
1: It was spectacular. Yeah, on the run tour. Yes. It even said, this is not real life on the screen when we got there. It did. We like, this is not real <laughs> like, life. This not. is surreal <laughs> that we are seeing Beyonce and Jay-Z. Oh, it was so good. Yes. Yes, it was. Well, thanks for doing this. This was awesome. I'm really glad I
2: got the opportunity to do this with you.
0: Yeah, it was fun.
1: Yes.
2: We did it! We're all done! Well, I guess Katie did it. And Amanda did it. I didn't do really much except for throw this episode together. But it was such a good conversation between Katie and Amanda to hear them chat about everything that Amanda's been through in life and has learned about uh, being a a new mom and being a teacher and working with kids and coming home to a kid uh, as well as sexual identity stuff. All of this stuff uh that you heard in the last hour was super i think complex in um in a, in a lot of ways and honestly really meaningful and really vulnerable and i really appreciate the two of them taking the time to chat it out and to share some of their stories with you all if you liked what you heard, please tell your friends about the podcast, the EduPunks podcast. Find us on Instagram and Twitter at Pod. You can also find it just online, probably through my website, CraigBitamin.com slash EduPunksPod. If you want to get vinyl sent to your house every single month, go to Table-Turn.com. You can now subscribe. You have 57 days, well, I guess by the time this is heard, 56 days to get yourself a post-hardcore record subscription or a Shoegaze Revival subscription. I might get both because those are sick. So, uh, yeah, if you're fans of post-hardcore music or Shoegaze Revival music, please... Please go to our friends at tableturn.com. Even if you can tell them that we sent you, tell them we sent you. That'd be really sick. And if you want tunes from the new We Believe You compilation out by uh, Old Press Records, go to oldpressrecords.com. Get yourself a CD, cassette, or a digital copy. However you consume music, do it please. And yeah, that's really all we got for this week. Next week, we'll be back with another conversation that we recorded while we were in Wisconsin. Uh, and then the week after that, we're going to have a nice little new segment uh, episode thing. So yeah, that's what we got. Hope you enjoyed this episode and we'll see you next week. Until then, I'm going to leave you with a track from Pity Party called Peter Frampton from East Oakland. Also on the compilation. Uh, and uh, yeah. Let's get to work. I am not
1: the guy.